This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Invest Talk. I'm Steve Peasley, and I thank you for making our program part of your day, every day, Monday through Friday. Did you see the market today? Well, it continues to be pretty volatile. I mean, the, uh, the Dow was up 158 points. The Nasdaq was down six. And the S&P up four. But it's kind of a wild ride. It continues to be amazing. The U.S. stocks are mostly higher, though, on, on a broader base. Mostly higher. Not by a lot. And, you know, it is you know, the, the decline of technology shares is putting pressure on the Nasdaq. The, they're just you're just having to Facebook is in particularly is getting really hurt, so that is holding back, you know, the movement of the Nasdaq. Remember, those Fang stocks are so big: Fang, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google, and to some extent Microsoft. They're so big that whatever they do, even one or two of them goes in one direction or another, drags the whole index with them. Just the way it is, because they're so big. They're so because these indexes are market weighted. And their, their weight influences greatly. So why do you choose to listen to Invest Talk? I think it's generally because hopefully you, the audience, recognize my commitment, Justin's commitment to unbiased guidance and, and information and maybe strategies. You know, I, I'm hoping that is. And we do that on, on the radio show on, on investtalk.com and our podcasts. Whatever your reason is, I appreciate you listening, and thank you for tuning in. Now, here's a reality check. In three days, the calendar will welcome autumn, autumn, fall, right? Three days. we got three days, three days in fall is going to start. And as you know, time always seems to march on, and so do we. Today, I will conclude the history lesson I began yesterday, you know, that we were talking about. Can we predict our near future by looking back at the terrifying stock market crash of 1929. What are the similarities from there to, to now? I am not telling you we're going to have a crash. We're not. I don't think we are. I do have many doomsdayers, writers out there saying we are. I don't think we are. But there are similarities. You know, it's always not. I think it's very instructive to know your history. There are patterns. So I'm going to wrap up that story that I started yesterday about that. But before we do that, why don't we go ahead and start with the Q&A portion of the program. Here's a call that came in earlier on our Anytime line. Well, first of all, let's go to Joe in Santa, Santa Maria. How you doing, Joe? Good. How you doing, Steve? Joe? Good. Thanks for the yeah, call. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay. Yeah, no, I just had a question about BGS, uh, B&G Foods. I know recently they just sold off pirate uh, brands to uh, Hershey for like $420 million. I was just wondering, because I know you guys also own uh, B&G Foods, um, if you guys yes. know how much that will reflect on their earnings and if the dividend is still going to be safe and all of that. I know it looks like they did it probably for a, uh, out credit positive. You know, Moody says that the sale of pirate assets is credit positive for them. Um I just yeah. was wondering, you know, yeah. what you guys thought overall. If this would be another good point to pick up another position, 
Um, I know it's taking well, a I think, as well. I, 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 I think it's a, a, a positive thing for B&G Foods because they're reducing debt. They sold uh, uh, to Pirate Brands to Hershey for $420 million in cash and, and debt. So it's going to reduce B&G Foods' debt. Um, I don't think it will have, and it'll actually boost the earnings, but it, you know that's not that's just a one-time thing. So you don't really want to rely on that. You want to, you, you, even though we'll do it for the first quarter, you don't really want to rely on that as far as analyzing the company. And I don't think it's going to, I don't think it's going to stop their dividend or make them reduce their dividend, because you know it's a six percent dividend on a thirty-dollar stock. That's what a dollar eighty. And their cash flow is two dollars and ninety-four cents, and their earnings are two dollars and seventeen cents. So I don't think it's going to, you know, be too impactful on that. I think it's a positive step in their efforts to try to reduce their debt and get their their get everything in order. Even though their numbers are not that bad, the only bad thing they had, the only kind of mark that I didn't like against them was debt. And that this was an this is an effort to reduce the debt. So I kind of like the move, even though the stock price necessarily didn't didn't hate it or like it because they announced it on uh, nine twelve, you know. And here it is the nineteenth, and the stock is down just barely. So, you know, I don't think it. I think it's a good. I don't think there's anything wrong with it, Joe. B and G Foods, everybody. Okay. BGS is the symbol. Appreciate the call, though. Thank you. So can you predict our, the, our near future by looking back at any point in time in our market, especially the stock market crash in 1929, and say, hey, there's so many similarities. Are we in the same position? And I said yesterday, the answer could be yes or no. I don't see enough similarities personally to make it very worrisome for us today that we'll have that kind of crash. The historical record is revealing and as we talked about it yesterday, you know, uh, by the way, this article was found on estopedia.com with all this information. Now, to recap quickly, the 1929 crash had the market fall on October 28th and 29th by uh, 13% and 12%. So, total 25% until two days, respectively. October 28th and 29th of 1929. Those are the ones that really were the bad days. And it is widely believed that the Federal Reserve may have caused, in no small part, this financial crash because they were tightening money policies. They were taking liquidity out of the market. How does the Federal Reserve tighten money policies? By raising interest or raising margin requirements by banks or by not allowing them to lend money out. You know, there's different ways they can do it. And they did that before in 1928, the year before. So the U.S. economy was flying pretty high before that. And the, and the Federal Reserve was worried about it, and they tightened quickly. Now the Federal Reserve is worried about now, is it not? Why they're tightening now? Now you could say, well, they're tightening because it's so very low, but they're still tightening. But you know, you can't really say that 2018 is like it. You know, the, the years before 2018 from the Great Recession we had, 2008 is the same. They're not. It's not the same, but there is, you know, we are rising rates on mortgages and we are, the Federal Reserve is raising rates where it can and it seems to be on a path that it's going to continue to do that. Housing supply is constrained. Well, 
uh, there's been a very high appreciation of homes and oil prices are really high. You know, are, are we looking at the same kinds of things? It's always different. It's never exactly the same. So going forward, we're going to need responsible lending, but we're already seeing mortgages, mortgages, uh, bankers are loosening up the restrictions because they want to keep lending and there's less and less borrowers because the prices are getting so high for the houses. So is that a, a, a problem? Are they going to get loose again? At least they need to have a dialogue between banks and non-banks on this kind of thing, on emerging, emerging risks of lending money. Because if they do go down that same path they did before, lending money to people who really can't afford to borrow that money, this is going to lead to another crisis. Hopefully, they'll, they've learned their lesson. It wasn't that long ago. And most of the time, they do learn that lesson. It's a different kind of crisis that usually pops up somewhere, not the same kind. But you do need to realize this is a new era and there are new risks. Okay, how about computerized trading? Those computerized trading algorithms that trade lightning fast in seconds, that's new. That's something that that is, you know, a concern. Computerized computerized trading. Yeah, you didn't have that in 1929. Maybe you didn't have it that much in 2008, but today you have it a lot more. What's going to be the effect of that if things start to turn down? How fast can computerized trading push markets up or down? Mostly down. So one lesson we learned, and we need to highlight, the Federal Reserve paper has concluded. They've studied this, you know. And they said detecting and deflating financial bubbles is difficult and added that um, using monetary policy to restrain investors' exuberance may have broad, unintended, and undesirable consequences. So the, the, the conclusion is they think that they don't want to get involved with trying to predict or control where, you know, financial markets go. Uh-huh. We'll see. So the topic of predicting and managing stock market crash cycles are, is very complex. I just, you know, I'm just scratching the surface on this today. Uh, it, it, and it's just some of the things to, to, that we look at. You need... You know, you look at, there's so many factors that you need to kind of understand to see if the market is too high and ready to roll over. And when someone says the market's too high, how do they know? No one really knows. How high is too high? You know, I mean, in the dot-com, you could see the market was screaming up with no fundamental evidence of any kind in 1999. None. At that dot com, it was all, uh, it was all the madness of crowds, the extra exuberance and madness of crowds that they just thought it should go up because this is a new way to do things. Yeah, we're not in that kind of situation here. I don't think I don't see that, but that's one thing you got to birch out, watch it, watch for. Okay, got to watch for that. So market swings come and go, but if you want to be successful over time. You got to get ahead. I think many of you realize that, and that may be why you listen to the show. You know, we we want to go beyond just you know the hype. We want to know, understand what drives stocks long term, and try to understand where we are. And we can help you. Justin and I can help you at KPP Financial. We have over thirty years of investing management experience. 
So your path to a smarter, more comfortable financial future begins with a phone call to us at our Daily Point office or send me an email and ask some questions. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Steve Peasley, and I invite you to take your free risk questionnaire at investtalk.com. Justin and I can use the results to assess your, your investing tolerance. For example, are you at a point where you want to avoid some risks? All risks? Part of the risks? Do you know if you are in your portfolio? We can help you with that. So, we can help apply any strategy to what works best for you. So take the questionnaire. Go to investtalk.com. Our Wednesday show is off and running, and we are ta taking your questions. Give us a call at 888-99-CHART. Thanks for listening to Invest Talk. And with each passing day, your portfolio is either performing at its best or perhaps not doing as well as it should. Here's a constructive suggestion. Head over to investtalk.com, read about the many strategic investing programs offered to clients of KPP Financial, and be sure to take the free Riskalyze Risk Questionnaire. Steve's here, the phone lines are open, and he's taking your questions. 888-99-CHART. Okay, I got an email today from Dave up in the Bay Area, East Bay Area, and he had a question. He is a federal employee. He's going to retire in about four years. And he has a TSP plan, which is a retirement plan, a government retirement plan. And he wants to know if it should, should he leave it in the TSP when he retires or should he roll it over into an IRA? And I've always suggested it, you get a lot more choices, more control in an IRA. So I always recommend that you roll your your 401ks, TSPs, 457s, whatever you have, into an IRA so you can do whatever you want to do and not be restrained. Okay? This is Invest Talk. I'm Steve Peasley. And heading into the break, I want to remind you that Invest Talk is heard live every day, 4 to 5 Pacific Time, Monday through Friday, on the radio. Also live on internet streaming through investtalk.com. And please tell your friends, family members, you can always listen to a podcast anytime you want. Also. 888-99-CHART. The KPP Premium Newsletter packs a lot of market news, process explanations, and even stock ideas into a concise summary every Friday. You can subscribe at investtalk.com, $9 per month. If you subscribe now, you'll beat the coming October price increase. You are listening to Invest Talk. Have you got a question for Steve? He's here, and the lines are open. 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve. This is Shannon in Palm Beach, Florida. I've been listening for a while, and I appreciate you taking my call. I just recently bought my first house, and we got the guy to come down in price because the house basically needs a new roof at some point in the near future. So we have about seventeen or 18000 cash on hand, and we're looking to maybe replace the roof in maybe December, January, somewhere along the lines of early next year. So my question is, you know, if you have about 17, 18,000, is there a place I can keep it? That's, you know, where can I put that money? That's pretty secure, but maybe it could earn a little bit of uh, you know, interest on the money in that, you know, six month time frame or so. Also, when it comes time to buy the roof, do I, you know, do you have to buy it cash? Can you use a credit card in there? Or what would you do when you buy the 20 to $25,000 roof? Thank you. Okay. Um, those are good questions. Um, you don't want to take risks with that money because you need it for the roof. If you're going to, do, to take that route and buy and pay for pay for through the you know, through the mortgage, 
I mean, through pay cash for it. Um, if you want to put it somewhere, you might try an ultra short bond fund, which is very liquid and can get you, you know, a couple percentage points, you know, not a lot. You're not going to get a lot anywhere that you're going to be safe. And you might want to consider, you know, um, I don't know if you have any equity. You said you just bought the house or maybe don't have a lot of equity. You sure don't want to do PMI, but maybe you can get a second trustee um, to pay for the roof. In other words, maybe put that 17000 in your retirement account or some of it in a retirement account. Uh, there might be better uses of the money. You always want to look for the best use of the money. And you have to put it on a roof, so that's got to be a use. You've got to use the money for that some of it you just got to um and might have to use it all depending on what how much equity you have in the house and so on and so forth but you could try i wouldn't necessarily do a home equity loan uh if i can't i, I would love to see it in a fixed 30-year fixed roll it in one but you might not be able to do that to either if you don't have uh, enough equity in the house but so, but I wouldn't take much chances with that money because you you may need it to make to pay that roof. Plus, you need to you need three or four or five months worth of and uh, monthly expenses, and you're going to find a house is more expensive than you think, with upkeeps and stuff, uh, in, in emergency funds, three or four months of emergency funds. So, you know, just plan on it. Okay, how to plan for higher health costs in retirement. I've mentioned this before, and the costs have gone up. So I'm, uh, there's been a new survey out, and then I want to talk about it and how much it's going to cost you in retirement for your health care. I know you have Medicare. I know that. I'm talking about in addition to that. Also, Social Security, walking through the rules of Social Security. You know how many rules they have? There's a handbook out, you know. Well, we'll talk about that. Required, required minimum distributions from your IRAs and 401ks. You're making some changes, you know. Is any of it going to affect you? But I want to talk about required minimum distributions. I, I'm, afraid that, I've, uh, I'm afraid that people don't understand what the penalty is if you don't take your required minimum distributions. And I'm going to make some suggestions that, you know, that it can prove that. And Housing Starts Report came roaring back. It was really a good report. Where was it? You look inside the report, look for the leading economic indicator in there. That doesn't look so good. So we're going to talk about that. And those are things on my mind today that I think we should I should share with you. What do you think you want to talk about? You drive the show. You're first. I'm always second. And now we've all seen the, the Trump terrorists, right? Uh, you all seen that 200 billion against China, and have you noticed? Uh, did you see that China is retaliating with 60 billion dollars, and now Trump is saying he's going to maybe add more. So you got this escalating battle there. That could be an issue. So let's go ahead and grab another question. Hi, Steve. Hi, Justin. This is Robert in Pleasanton. I have a question today regarding Seagate Technology. S T X is the symbol. I'm just wondering if you think that this is a value play or a value trap. Appreciate your insights. Thanks, and have a great day. Okay, that was Seagate. I don't think he's got the right symbol. Seagate. Uh, STX. Okay, got it. 
or else my hearing's bad. STX is the symbol, everybody. Seagate Technologies, and you know, big competitors is Western Digital. Um, manufactures hard disk drives for the enterprise desktop, mobile computing, consumer electronics market. Uh, they are they're almost a $14 billion company, so it's a big cap company. They're going to make $6.07 next year after making $6.24 this year and $5.51 last year. So they're going up this year, then giving a little bit of that back next year. Uh, sales growth is pretty good the most recent quarters. It's a fairly low-priced uh, uh, stock, just like Western Digital. And so it's a question, is it this is where you should buy it? And I think... You know, both Western Digital and Seagate are ones that you need to look at. Yes. I do think it, you might not buy it just this minute, but it looks like a good opportunity is coming up. Tomorrow on Vestock, the potential trade war and nuclear option could be bad for Apple and Amazon. One strategist warns China might restrict sales of materials and equipment. That story is tomorrow, everybody. I'm Steve Pisa. I'm ready to take your questions at 888-99-CHART. And we'll be right back. Our podcast continues on next. It may be hard to believe, but the average 401k investor misses out on over $5,000 per year in investment gains. How come? Poor timing and subpar fund choices. That's the big challenge that is being met now with active 401k. The typical 401k plan has limited choices. People don't know what to do, and that's exactly why Active 401k was devised. It may be just what you've needed. It ranks your current options within your current employer's plan, and then all you do is log in and make the changes. You'll be told exactly what to buy, what percentages, and what funds. This program is offered by invitation to KPP clients and limited number of our listeners, too. And if you'd like to see more about it, just go to investtalk.com and click on the Investments tab and then look for Active 401k. Now let's get back to our podcast. This is Investtalk. Please make sure you subscribe to the Invest Talk podcast at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Then listen, rate, and review. Okay, you've got finance and investment questions. Call now, 888-99-CHART. 888-992-4278. Let's talk to Ben in Ohio. How you doing, Ben? Hi, Steve. I'm doing just fine. How are you? Good. Thank you for the call. I do appreciate it. Great, great. Well, uh, thanks Thanks for taking the call. I do appreciate it. Um, I had a, a question over what to do uh, with my closing costs on my house now that I've moved states into a market in Ohio that is significantly higher than the market is uh, down in Texas. Um, so I'll, I'll give you a little background. Um, I'm 25 years old. I bought my first house down in uh, the Houston area whenever I was 23. Um, I lived there for about two years, had a new opportunity, moved to Ohio. Um, I currently max out my 401k, my Roth, and my, uh, my HSA. Um, so any extra money that I bring in, I would have to either, either go with a taxable account or I would need to use that as a down payment for the next house. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of torn. Um, I heard you mention yesterday that perhaps it's not the right time to look for property in the market that it's currently in. So not really sure uh, what, what your take on that would be. Okay, uh, let me ask you a question. Do you plan on staying where you are for any length of time? 
Uh, I'm thinking at least uh, five to seven years is what I'm looking at right now. Okay, because if you're not going to stay there, it probably makes no sense to buy a house if you're not going to be there that long because there's always that closing cost that kills you when you sell it, right? I mean, so right. you're not going to have enough equity. It depends, and real estate is very local. So, you know, is a real estate area where you are, you know, still moving up? Is it volatile or does it stay stagnant? You know, you need those kind answer those kind of questions. And the reason why I say housing is might not be a best time is because we know the Federal Reserve is raising rates, and we know that prices have been moving up very sharply for the last few years. So um, I don't know in Ohio where you are what those prices have been doing, uh, but you know, on a nationwide basis, that's the fact. So. Take a look at your local market. Have the prices really shot up in the recent few years? And if they had, yeah, I don't know if I'd be real anxious to jump in the housing market right now. I would not be real Okay. Best okay. time and to buy they have a seen recession. a lot of growth exploding, and so that's why I was thinking, well, it's an exciting opportunity to hop in, but maybe that's also a, a sign of a, a bubble forming that's just waiting to collapse as well. So that's, that's good to Yeah. Do. You know, the best time to buy, uh, Ben, is in a recession. And when everybody's scared, that's when the best time to buy. Because interest rates will be lower, mortgage rates will be lower, because the Fed will try to get us out of the recession by lowering them. And uh, generally, at least that's what they try to do. And you'll have more more housing on the market. But only if you have that time to wait. You know, or can you be patient with that? Meanwhile, build up more and more right. down payment. So that, you know, that's, that's probably what I would do at this stage. Okay, ben. okay, okay. And then as far as uh, all the the carryover, call. you think just uh, a taxable account, just VTSAX, and just let it sit yep. for the rest of the time? Yep. yep, that's what I would do. I would definitely do that. You're already maxing out all your retirement accounts. You're doing the right thing there. So, yeah, that's what I would do. Ben, thank you for the call. Appreciate it. Okay, how to plan, how to plan, everybody, for higher health costs in retirement. Now, I used to say it's going to cost a couple, reaching age 65, about a quarter million dollars uh, in money to uh, out-of-pocket expense for health care until you pass away. Well, that number is now 280000 not 250000 Now, per person, per person, you know, it's about 140 to 170, 130 to 140, 150000 something like that, Okay. Uh, 133,000 for men, 147,000 for women. Okay, so this is not this is out of pocket expense. Everybody, we're not you know your Medicare covers so much and so on and so forth, but Medicare doesn't cover everything. You know, there's always co-pays on medicines, and there's always no dental. You've got to buy insurance for that, and you know if you need glasses, and everybody's everybody's different depending on what what you personally need. You know. But I think you need to understand there's an extra lump of money, some lump of money you're going to need. Now, some of that is based on as you get closer and closer to dying, it gets very expensive out-of-pocket expenses. So some of that is that. But you're still going to need a good chunk of money outside everything else to pay for your medical costs. So try to be prepared for that. You know, how do you prepare for that? Well, you just heard a caller talk about HSA account. Those are health savings accounts. That's what those are for. You can start putting money aside that way. <coughs> Excuse me. There's things you can do, but you have to start thinking about it. Think about what the, what you can do. 
how much you can put aside. And, it, you know, I know it's already difficult to put enough money aside just to retire. But, you know, these are going to be real expenses. It's not just because you don't just because you don't plan for it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It's going to happen. So be ready. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. I'm Steve Pisa, and you're listening to Invest Talk. And there are some simple rules for success that, you know, every regular Invest Talk listener has heard Justin and I talk about many times. Rule one is always diversify. Diversify your portfolio. Don't load up on one or two or three stocks. That's not going to work. And if it does work, <coughs> it will work for a short period of time, and you're going to get crushed. We recommend, you know, I always recommend about 3% of any one stock in a portfolio. You can go up to 5, but 3% gives you about 30 stocks. And that's a good diversification. Don't have most of them in one sector either. They're diversified over different sectors. Rule number two, don't make emotional decisions. Don't let fear and greed determine what you are going to decide. You're fearful or you're greedy. Don't make decisions and have that in your mindset. Another rule, don't try to time the market. You can't. It can't be done. It's impossible. Okay? Timing the market just can't be done. Now, Investor promises a commitment to reason and common sense. That's what we do. We will give you reasoned and common sense guidance here. The more you listen, the more you'll learn. The phone lines are open. The program is always ready for you and made better by your calls. So the number is 888-99-CHART. This is InvestTalk, made possible by KPP Financial, where each Friday, subscribers to the KPP Premium Newsletter receive a concise and highly informative summary of the week's financial and investment news. It's sent directly to their inbox. It really does give you a week that was roundup in a quick read. It also offers a look ahead and various process and term explanations that will be interesting to every investor. So you should be thinking about subscribing. The cost now through September is only $9 per month. And if you act now, you'll stay ahead of the coming October price increase. Remember, you'll get targeted value formatted for fast consumption when you become a KPP Premium Newsletter subscriber at investtalk.com. The Invest Talk radio and podcast continues now. The phone lines are open. 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Sharon from Denver, Colorado. I listen to the show all the time. It's awesome. Quick question. Can you go over how they do capital gains in terms of harvesting losses and gains over a period of time? And um, maybe some software that can help you do that? Uh, again, thanks so much. Make it great. Okay, let's talk about capital gains. There's short-term and long-term capital gains. And what that is is profits. And when you buy and sell in stocks or bonds or whatever, it's profits that you're, you're taking or losses. So if, if you have a gain in a stock that you've taken, you bought it and sold it within one year, that's a short-term capital gain. And that is taxed at your ordinary income tax rate. Whatever income tax rate you are, that's what that's going to be taxed at, that capital gain. It's like adding it to your adjusted uh, gross income and you're just taxed. Long-term capital gains are gains of positions that you hold, you've held 12 months or longer. 
So you sell it at the 13th month. That's a long, you bought it 13 months ago and you sold it. That's a long-term capital gain, and that's taxed at 20%. The long-term capital gains rate is 20%. Now, they used to be less. They used to be 15, but, you know, uh, they changed that law several years ago, a number of years ago, and bumped it up. Um, so those are your capital gains. Who, your, your custodian, whoever you are, many, whoever you're trading your stocks, buying and selling it, they will keep track of that. They will give you a report at the end of the year. They're required to do that these days, and they will tell you how much short-term and long-term capital gains you have. Okay, but you should also keep track of yourself. And the easiest way is just put it in a spreadsheet when you buy it. Make a note how much you bought it for, how many shares, what was the cost, and then when you sell it, how much did you sell it for, and how much was your profit or loss. And just so you know, if you have a loss this year, you any any loss under $3,000, you can apply that loss also to your taxes, reducing your tax burden. If you have more than 3000 that, that $3,000 can be applied to ordinary income that you made and reduce that ordinary income. If it's over 3000 you can carry it to the next year and deduct it then. And you can always apply short-term losses to short-term gains. They can offset. And long-term losses with long-term gains. They can offset. So that's basically the rules. It's not hard. It's fairly, you know, fairly understandable rules. Okay? Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Okay, how this starts. Roared back. We got a report out this morning. Uh, number of housing starts, that's people, you know, builders making new homes, building new homes, 1.28 million, and that was a pretty good bump, 9%, 9.2% higher than July, okay, and that was pretty good, everybody's excited. Now, before you get too excited, we want to, I want to make sure I point out that much of that was in multi-units, not in single-family houses. But, the, but this is a lagging economic indicator. Even though it's good news and we're happy about it, it's still a lagging economic indicator. The leading economic indicator of this report is in the housing permits part. How many new permits were issued to build new houses going forward? And I hate to tell you this, but that was down 5.7%, not up from a month ago. And down 5.5% from a year ago. So, meaning that going forward, housing is not going to be as nearly robust as it has been. So, let's be prepared for that. So, don't, you know, and I've been preparing you. I've been telling you for, I don't know, weeks and months now that looks like that we're seeing cracks in the housing market. Even though it still looks pretty healthy, I, I always look for, you know, weakening in any economic numbers and you could tell that it was just starting to weaken even though we have a really good new housing starts report maybe 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 it will uh, maybe it will rebound but at the same time I look at the builder sentiment index and it stayed flat for the month so they're not all that uh, excited about the coming months themselves the builders themselves which you know since they are builders you would you can rely on them as to knowing their industry better than I do and anybody else. So um, it's not a bad, it's a great report. It wasn't as high as it was in May, 
by the way, these numbers, the housing starts, it jumped up, but it wasn't as good as it was just in recent May. Summer was not a good time for housing, new housing construction for builders. It was not. It wasn't that robust. It looks to me that we've seen the peak in housing. That's what I think. I think. That's why I'm suggesting maybe you should wait a while before you be a buyer. If you're a new buyer, it might be smart to wait because it looks like we've seen the peak and Whenever you see a peak, your next move is usually, you know, retracement of some kind. Of course, it could be just a pause before another run up. Well, I mean, that could happen, but I don't think so. I think we squeeze in another question. Here's one that came in earlier. Hey, Steve and Justin, this is Mike calling from Portland. A question about AT&T and Vodafone. Look like they're right down at the bottom of their range in terms of price, and both are uh, pretty good on the dividend side. So just kind of wondering what you guys' thoughts were in terms of the difference between those two and which one you might lean to as an opportunity, if you would, or if you would avoid them. Thanks. Well, several weeks ago, we talked about AT&T a couple of times, and I mentioned that we we bought it. You know, when someone asks, I always tell you if well, we own it and we bought it. We bought this a few weeks, two, three weeks ago, AT&T. And we bought it because of the very strong dividend. Still, even after it's moved up from 31.50 to 33.37, it's still uh, paying a 6% dividend. You know, that's the, the math. Now, AT&T, you don't buy it for growth. It's not going to grow. It's pretty stagnant. But you do buy it for that dividend. And uh, we were talking about it. The low of the lows were low 30s is where you buy AT&T, 30, 31, 32. And you, you hold it because it's going to go up to about 37, maybe 38. And that's about it. That's as exciting as you get with AT&T. It's been doing that for a number of years. So if you bought it here, you're kind of um, still on the lower part, uh, but it's, it's maybe closer to the middle of the range for AT&T, uh, but you're still going to get that 6% dividend. So, I, I, we own it, so you know what I think about it. I, I, I'm a little hesitant at this price. I'd rather see you buy it in the low, low like 30-31. Our Wednesday Investor program is almost finished and ready to upload to the online podcast collection, but we still have about 10 minutes left, so let's talk about financial, anything financial. Let's talk about it. 888-99-CHART. On the next Invest Talk, the potential trade war nuclear option could be bad for Apple and Amazon. Steve will break down the story tomorrow. But now, Steve's here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your calls. 888-99-CHART. 888-992-4278. Let's talk to Andre in Palo Alto. How you doing, Andre? Hey, good, Steve. How you doing? I'm good. Thank hey, you for uh, question. Great. Great. Hey, love your show. Always great. Just love love hearing it on the Thank commute you. home every day. Um, always great stuff. Uh, question. Um, markets are pretty frothy everywhere, obviously. We're, we're in the, the bubbles, bubbles, it seems like. Um, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we can keep chasing this. You know, obviously, you don't want to uh, miss out on any of the, the upward action, right. you know, because as the saying goes, markets can stay insolvent, uh, irrational longer than you can stay solvent. 
But uh, exactly. what, what are you guys looking at as far as, uh, you know, when the pivot point is? Because, I mean, historically, markets usually decline about 40 to 50 percent during recessions. Uh, I don't see this, you know, any wand out there that this is uh, some new era or paradigm out there. Um, so what do you guys, when do you guys think about pulling the plug and maybe just going short on a lot of things or maybe investing in uh, dog or some inverse instruments out there? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, uh, in one of our stoke programs, we actually do have short positions on. Uh, not a lot. But we're starting. We're starting that hedging process. In and other programs, we are hedging our bets, getting into defensive things. Have a couple of utilities, maybe three utilities, which hold up much better in a in a recession. So we're already starting the process of you know preparing for that. But I don't think we're anytime really close yet to any market collapse. Uh, maybe maybe later next year or the year after. No one really knows. And you're right, Andre. No one really knows, right? It could, could become, you know, it could just keep going up for another year, as far as we know. So we, you can't be too, you can't just say, okay, I'm getting out. You know, you can't do that. You have to kind of migrate to where you think is the best opportunities. You know, we know, Andre, we're in late cycle. Okay, we know that. Late cycle, late economic cycle. Uh, what, and we, you can look at stocks that work best in late economic cycles, and part of that is utilities. You know, stocks that pay big dividends and secure, non-cyclical kind of stocks, and, be, and you don't necessarily have to go short yet. You know, uh, I, I would want to see more evidence of weakness before I would really get too aggressive on the short side. Okay, good question. Thanks for calling. Appreciate it, Andre. Yeah, so you know, you just don't, you just can't get out. You know, again, there's no time in the market. You, you just kind of migrate to slowly to what you think might be more defensive kind of positions. RMDs, required minimum distributions. That, uh, those are the amount. Of that's the money you have to take out. We have to take out when you reach seventy half of your IRAs and your 401ks, not your Roth's IRA, but your regular IRAs and 401ks, all those retirement accounts, required minimum distributions. They start the year you turn 70 half. What if you don't take them? You are penalized for all the money that you don't take that you should take. Do you have any idea how much that is, what that penalty is? It's 50% of what you didn't take that you were supposed to take. So let's say at, you were supposed to take out a required minimum distribution out of your retirement accounts, $10,000. They're going to penalize you $5,000 if you don't take it. This is why it's extremely important that you keep an eye on that. You keep a really close eye on that. When you turn 70, you make sure you start taking out your, you can take it out earlier. I'm just talking about don't make sure you take out the required minimum distribution. Now, the reason I'm even talking about that is the government is talking about presidential, uh, uh, sign, president signing executive order, changing some of the 401k uh, situations and so on, but they didn't do anything about this. But it was brought up, the required minimum distribution, which I think is extremely unfair at 50% penalty because you could easily forget you know, or be late. So you need to be 
pay close attention to your required minimum distribution. It's your responsibility. It's not your you know, mutual funds or whoever, the custodian of your money. It's not their responsibility. They don't have to tell you. Many of them do, but they don't have to. Not their job. So be very careful. I'm Steve Peasley, and that completes another InvestTalk program, everybody. Driven again by your questions. I always love your questions. I had some good questions today. And thanks for contributing, everybody. And please come back tomorrow. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered and offered to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor.